0: Good morning and welcome again. We're glad that you're here today. We're very thankful for the opportunity to be together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're glad to have our young folks back from camp. I know they had a great week and probably a tiring week, but we're so happy that they're back safe and sound. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5 in just a moment, specifically verses 1 through 4 as we contemplate today the lesson encouraging elders and as you know we have been asked to look out among ourselves to identify men that would be willing to serve in this capacity and so we want to do that and we want to make sure that we find just the right men to serve with our incumbent eldership we're very grateful for all the work that has gone on here at Olive Branch and continues to go on and for the great service that has been rendered by those who have served as elders in days gone by. I want to ask you to pray with me as we begin, or prior to our study today. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for our blessings and for the opportunity to be together. We ask, Father, that As we reflect upon your word and as we think about the great work of those who serve as elders, that we would strive to the best of our ability to encourage and lift up the hands of those who serve in this capacity. And Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom in this process, that we would look to your word and that we would seek out men that meet the qualifications to serve in this capacity, And that they likewise would take this responsibility and carry it out to the best of their ability. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by calling attention, as I said a moment ago, to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be talking about the theme, Encouraging Elders. I understand that many of us need encouragement. As a matter of fact, all of us who live the Christian life need encouragement from time to time. And one of the great blessings that we have as children of God is that we can draw strength and encouragement not only from one another, but also by looking to God's holy word. Probably there is no work in the church that carries more responsibility than does the work of an eldership. It carries tremendous responsibility because those who function in this capacity are overseeing the souls of people. And ultimately, the souls that they oversee will one day spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. Every faithful elder wants to ensure that those who are part of the flock, that they're on the road to heaven. Typically, elders receive very few compliments, but tons of criticism. It can be and is oftentimes a thankless job, and it shouldn't be. We ought to get down on our hands and knees and thank God for men who are willing to step into the role and to serve as overseers in the church of God. So they need our encouragement, our prayers. They need our support. And we ought to strive to lift up their hands as they engage in this noble endeavor. Understanding that they are overseeing our soul and that they want what's best for us. Let me begin by talking, first of all, about the admonition to elders. In chapter 5, in verse 1, the Apostle Peter, in writing to the saints in the first century, said, The elders who are among you, I exhort. First, there is the encouragement. To elders. I said a minute ago that elders need our encouragement. I understand that those of us who are Christians, we need, it, we need to be encouraged. Preachers need to be encouraged. Deacons need to be encouraged. Those who work with the young, they need to be encouraged. And so we have the opportunity to lift up one another in our service to Christ. As Peter talks about the encouragement that he is offering to those who serve in this capacity, he begins by stressing his experiences in the Lord. First of all, he says that he had been a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Listen again to what he says to the church in the first century. The elders who are among you, I exhort, who am a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter had the opportunity to follow in the footsteps of Jesus for about three and a half years. He was privileged to see a lot of great things and to hear words of eternal life as he would say in John chapter six. But one of the things that he had the opportunity to see firsthand, the sufferings of Jesus. And I think about the verbal abuse that Jesus endured And then not just the verbal taunts and abuse, but also the physical suffering. Back in chapter 2, he talks about how Christ also suffered for us. And the Bible tells us that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. That we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. In chapter 1, he talks about how we have been redeemed not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ. Just a moment ago, we partook of the Lord's Supper, reminding ourselves of the body that was given for us, the blood that was shed on our behalf. So Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, would say, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come again. So Peter had been a witness to the sufferings of Christ and then he was also the Bible tells us a worker for the Christ back in chapter 1 verse 1 Peter identifies himself as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ prior to that he had been called by the Lord Jesus Christ the Bible tells us that Peter was a fisherman And Jesus said to Peter and Andrew and James and John that they would become fishers of men. And you look at the many roles that the apostle Peter took upon himself. He began by simply becoming a disciple of Jesus, a learner, a student. And he had the opportunity to observe all of the great things that Jesus did during the course of his ministry. So he was a disciple. And then... The Bible tells us that this disciple, who had so much to learn, ultimately ultimately became a great preacher and teacher, didn't he? On Pentecost Day, it was Peter who stood up among the the eleven and is recorded by Luke as preaching the first gospel sermon. The results were staggering. Some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on that day. So Peter, a disciple, a learner, a student, a preacher, a teacher, and then an apostle, one who was specifically sent. The Bible also tells us that the apostle Peter was a penman. He had the opportunity to write, to record for us Two very special epistles. And then, in chapter five, he identifies himself as an elder in the Lord's church. So you talk about somebody that that wore a lot of hats. Peter was a busy man. And the Lord can use people that are busy. They're industrious. They use their time wisely. And those who serve as elders, no doubt, have to have that special talent. So he talks about his experiences in the Lord and then his estate in the Lord. Look at the latter part of verse 1. Peter said that he is also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Back in chapter 1, Peter talks about the inheritance. That those of us who belong to the family of God have waiting on us. To know that we have an inheritance that is described as incorruptible, undefiled. Peter said it fades not away and then he said it's reserved in heaven for you. Every faithful child of God has before him or her this divine estate, an inheritance. Something that is worth far more than silver and gold, land, houses, cars, clothes, whatever. To know that we have this great inheritance and that Peter Here identifies himself as among that great number. In verse 9 he would say receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so the end result of faith, ultimately eternal salvation. And then there is the expectation of elders. What are the expectations of those who function in this capacity? Note if you would what is recorded in verse 2. In verse two, Peter said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Elders function in a given location. Their authority resides within a congregation. We talk about the autonomy of the local church. They have no jurisdiction, so to speak, outside the sphere of the local church. Their authority is in the realm of expediency. Now granted, they uphold the authority of Christ, but they make decisions in the realm of expediency. Now Peter said, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. One of the great tasks of those who are elders is to feed the sheep, that is to feed the flock, You remember in Acts chapter 20, at verse 28, when Paul stood before the elders of the church at Ephesus. He said, take heed to yourselves to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which is among you. That is to give them a healthy diet. And that diet is God's word. That's the standard. That's what the flock needs to eat. That's the diet, so to speak. Peter would say in his second epistle over in chapter 3, in verse 18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The intent is, by elders, to feed the church. Now we talk about evangelism and then there is edification. And Jesus covers both in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 19, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20 said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So elders have the responsibility of feeding the flock or the sheep or the church and then leading the church or flock or sheep. Note if you would in verse three. Peter would say, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. One of the ways that elders lead is by example. I think about the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. When he said, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ Jesus. And so elders can set the tone for service in the kingdom of God and they can encourage others to follow in their footsteps. Now granted, they lead by way of being visionaries, planning the work and then working that plan to perfection. Jesus would say in John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. And then he would go on to say, I know my sheep and they follow me. So. To have a leader out front and the sheep, the church, the flock following in those footsteps. Elders also have the responsibility of knowing the flock, of knowing the church, or knowing the sheep. Jesus said, I know my sheep and am also known by them. It's a two way street. Elders have the responsibility of knowing the church, and then the church has that responsibility of trying to know the eldership, knowing those men that serve in this great work. And then finally, elders have the responsibility of protecting or guarding the church or flock or sheep. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, one of the qualifications of those who serve as elders is that they have the ability to hold fast to the faithful word as they have been taught. That they might be able to exhort and convict those who contradict. That is, those who would seek to subvert the hearts and minds of people. So elders are a church's first line of defense. Just as a shepherd in days gone by would watch out over his flock and protect them. Well, that's the role that is pictured here by the scriptures. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study, and that is the attitude of elders. And Peter talks about the attitude that ought to exist among those who serve as elders in the Lord's church. Now, in verse 3, he talks about how they are to be examples to the flock. Let me just spend some time and talk for a minute or two about the mindset of those who serve as elders and really and truly, this mindset ought to be a part of all of our lives. First, elders seek to serve the savior. Their goal is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was a servant. The apostle Paul in his writings talks about how he was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a voluntary, ...form of service. It's not something that we're compelled to do, but rather we do it voluntarily. Jesus Christ came as a servant, didn't he? And Jesus said that the servant is not above his master. And so the Lord wants people that are willing to serve him. When Paul addressed the church at Philippi, he identified himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ... Those who serve as elders have to set the tone for service. In other words, if they want the congregation, if they want us to be servants and to be what we ought to be, then they have to show us how to serve, don't they? And they do that by way of example. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, said so have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a servant and so to see men who are out front serving that's what the lord's looking for and then secondly they serve the saints those of us who preach and teach the gospel we're servants of the lord But we're trying to serve other people and elders. Their intent is to serve the church, to serve the saints. I think about the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2 at verse 4. When he said that we're not necessarily to look out after our own interest. But he said let every man look out for the interest of others. To think about the needs and the wants of other people. That's what being a servant's all about, trying to serve people. Jesus came to serve, didn't he? Peter understood greatly what it meant to be a servant. I think about Jesus washing his feet, and he did so to demonstrate servanthood. And so we serve one another. In Galatians chapter 6 at verse 2, Paul would say, "...bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ." And then there are the motives of those who serve as elders. First of all, Peter said that they don't serve out of constraint or by compulsion. Note if you would verse 2 again. He said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by constraint or compulsion. Granted, those who function as elders desire to serve in this capacity and I'm grateful that there are men that are willing to step up to the plate and do so but I think what Peter is saying here is that we ought to do so we ought to serve willingly it ought to be something that we want to do just like those of us who obeyed the gospel we did so because that's what we wanted to do We enlisted ourselves as servants in the kingdom of God because that's that's the life we've chosen. And Paul's saying here that those who serve as elders want to be in this capacity. They want to serve. This is a means by which they can serve the Lord in a great, great way. Secondly, he says, they don't serve for cash. In other words, they're not in it for money. Listen to what he said in verse 2. They serve willingly not for dishonest gain but eagerly. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said that one of the qualifications of an elder is he's not to be greedy, he doesn't serve for filthy lucre's sake, for financial gain. Now, can a man serve and be compensated for serving as an elder? Yes, he can. 1 Timothy chapter 5. They are worthy To serve and to be financially rewarded for doing so. Paul makes that abundantly clear. Those who labor in word and doctrine. So, nothing wrong with somebody serving and being compensated for that. As a matter of fact, one of my best friends when I was growing up, his dad was on the staff at the church as a paid elder. Now, The eldership as a whole approached him about serving in that capacity, and he did so willingly. Many elders that I've known do not serve for financial remuneration, but there's nothing wrong with it. And then thirdly, he doesn't serve to be a chieftain, in other words, to be a big shot or a big wig. Listen to what he says again in verse 3. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Serving as an elder is not an ego trip. It's not, about, it's not about the individual. It's about serving. Most elders, I think the majority of elders, are very humble and they seek to serve the Lord to the best of their ability. It's not about, it's not about power. And by the way, there's no, there's no authority in any one individual elder. The authority resides in the eldership, plural. So it's not, it's not a position, an office where somebody serves so that they will get a name for themselves. Rather, it's something that they do willingly and submissively. And then finally, in the third place, think with me for a moment about the award. Of elders. Listen to what Peter said. When the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus. When Jesus Christ comes again, Peter is saying that those who have served in this capacity have something to look forward to. Well, what is that? Listen to what he says. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, all of us who serve as Christians in the body of Christ, that is all of us who are members of the body of Christ who are striving to live faithful lives in the eyes of God. We have before us this grand estate called heaven. And Peter is saying that those who function in this capacity will be rewarded, first of all, for their fruitful service. Look, serving as an elder is a great endeavor. It's a tremendous opportunity. I think about the exaltation of this office. There is not an office or work in the world that equates to the eldership. The President of the United States of America does not occupy a higher office than the eldership, but to serve as an elder and to strive to the best of his ability To bring forth fruit unto God. Jesus said in John 15, 8. Then are you my disciples indeed. And he talks about bearing fruit. For almighty God. That's the will of God. Fruitful service and then faithful service. Peter said you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 2. In verse 10 said be faithful until death. The promise being the crown of life. That is the Stephanos. To me, one of the great rewards of serving as an elder would be to have the opportunity to strive to mentor and to lead and to train and to mold people, to develop people, to have a mind for Christ, to become servants of the Lord, and then to one day step out into eternity and look out over heaven And see people that were directly influenced by their service. Tremendous opportunity. I appreciate our elders here. I appreciate and respect and love our elders. And I'm grateful for everything that they have done for me and we ought to hold up the hands of those who serve as elders. And as we think about appointing men to this this great work, I hope we'll do so, do so with an intent to put just the right men in this position and then once they decide to serve and once they step into this office, I hope and pray that we'll do Two things. Number one, we'll pray for them. We ought to pray for them every day. And then number two, that we'll lift up their hands and encourage them. And that we will be ready to serve when called upon. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I know that this lesson was not designed to teach somebody what to do to become a Christian. But I want to just tell you very quickly what you can do to become a child of God. First, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then the Bible says, not only do you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God because the Lord Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. And then repent, that is, turn away from a life of sin. Peter on Pentecost Day, Peter would say in the long ago, repent, Acts 2, verse 38. To confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then to be immersed in water, so that all your sins might be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church. The beauty of that is that when you're in the church and you're living faithfully, you have that crown of life that we've talked about. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, could I encourage you to come home? I know that God, God in heaven, would rejoice if you'd make the decision to come back to him who sent his son to die for you. Won't you come as we stand and sing?